Welcome to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast, presented by League Apps. League Apps is the leading youth sports management platform, providing organizations with the technology and professional development they need to run, grow, and win. On a mission to bring the benefits of sport to kids everywhere, they go beyond technology to provide leaders with professional development and relationship building, and to work with sports-based organizations to address issues of accessibility and equality. To learn more, find them at League Apps com or as league apps on all of the social networks now here's the host of the show longtime soccer broadcaster and voice of united soccer coaches dean linky i am dean linky this is the united soccer coaches podcast it is presented by league apps i hope you all had a great thanksgiving i am thankful to be a part of this podcast and i am thankful for this week's show we have three amazing guests on the show. We kick off the show with a person that really needs no introduction if you know anything at all about soccer. Brianna Scurry, who was elected to the National Soccer Hall of Fame on August 3rd, 2017 as the first woman goalkeeper and first black woman to be awarded the honor. She has a best-selling memoir out there right now that would be an incredible Christmas gift for anybody that loves anything about soccer or wants to be reminded about the trailblazer that she is, including that amazing save she made in 1999 when the USA won the World Cup at the Rose Bowl against China. The memoir is called My Greatest Save, Barrier Breaking Goalkeeper. It was written with Wayne Coffey, a world-class author who has written so many fantastic books, a lot of them sports-related, including the great book on Carly Lloyd. Wayne Coffey also, by the way, happens to be the father of Sam Coffey, who is a superstar for Portland in the NWSL, was a superstar at Penn State, and is currently in camp with the U.S. national team. I hope she makes the Olympic team. That's a little side. The real story, though, is Brianna Scurry. Her interview is amazing as she covers so many topics. She is part of the International Speakers Bureau. She just gave the commencement speech at her alma mater, UMass, where she now has an honorary doctorate. She is wonderful. Up second, Rudy Zimmerman. A man, if you don't know, is a man that you should know. Rudy Zimmerman does so much for United Soccer Coaches. And he was recently named as the prestigious winner of the Robert W. Robinson High School Long-Term Service Award. And it's also worth mentioning that Rudy Zimmerman has been in the role of the convention program manager at its national convention for more than 25 years. Again, he doesn't seek the spotlight, but he deserves it. And it was great to spend time with Rudy Zimmerman. Finally, if you've been paying attention, we've been spending a lot of time on this podcast breaking down a diploma that'll take place at the convention called Modern Club Administration and Management. It is led by the former CEO of United Soccer Coaches, the great Joe Cummings. There's 10 sessions. There's seven presenters, including Adam Hayes, who is running a session on Thursday, January 11th called Club Governance, Board Management, and Human Resources. His ties to Joe Cummings go way back. 
but more importantly, his experience in this category of club governance, board management, and human resources as part of the modern club administration and management diploma is priceless. He's also a wonderful man. Brianna Scurry, Rudy Zimmerman, Adam Hayes. That's our show, and it starts after this message from our presenting sponsor, Lee Gaps. We bet you didn't get into this business for the back office duties. That's why we created League Apps, the industry's leading youth sports management platform. So you can spend less time with busy work and more time doing what you love. League Apps provides organizations with the technology and professional development they need to run, grow, and win. Go to leagueapps.com to learn more. League Apps is proud to be the presenting sponsor of the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast, presented by League Apps. Once again, here's the host of the show, Dean Linky. Kicking off this week's United Soccer Coaches podcast with one of the true legends of the game. We're talking about Brianna Scurry, an American soccer goalkeeper that was legendary when we all fell in love with the women's game, truly in 1999, when she had one of the most prolific saves in the history of U.S. women's soccer, in the history of women's soccer, in general. She had 173 international appearances. That's the second most among female soccer goalkeepers. It is also the 50th most of any American female player and the 32nd most among all women. Scurry was elected to the National Soccer Hall of Fame in 2017. She was the first woman goalkeeper and the first black woman to be awarded the honor. She has so many stories to tell and now she has it in a best selling memoir called My Greatest Save that was co-written by one of my great friends, Wayne Coffey, an accomplished journalist who has written so many great books, wrote one on Carly Lloyd, and he is super proud of this one, My Greatest Save, and here to talk about that and so many other things. And by the way, when you go to get it at Amazon.com and independent bookstores and wherever books are sold, it's My Greatest Save, Barrier-Breaking goalkeeper, which is what Brianna Scurry has always done, broke down barriers. And we're honored to have her kick off this week's United Soccer Coaches podcast, talk about the book and talk about her life. Bri, uh, and by the way, I'm glad that I know that it's Bri because everybody always has crazy. Are you good with that? <laughs> That's so true. People get it so wrong. I, I have a hard time correcting anymore because it just it's so often. So I appreciate it. Yes. Thank, I didn't notice that. <laughs> yeah, no, Brianna Scurry. And uh, we love having you on. Thanks. Thanks for being on. And look, you are doing great things. We just talked about the fact that you were just over in Japan and you're now doing international speaking. And I want to get into that. But specifically, I'm here to talk about and promote your memoir that you wrote with Wayne Coffey. Can you first kind of walk us through the process of, you know what, I, I need to tell my story. I have a lot of layers uh, in my life. And, you know, you and I touched on it earlier. I want to go through all those layers. But how did it happen? Did it take a little time to say yes? And can you walk me through that process? I sure can. Absolutely. Uh, first of all, thanks so much for having me. And I have to say the the process of writing a book is truly a labor of love. I felt I've had a story or two in me since my playing days. And then unfortunately, when my career ended in 2010 from a concussion, I really struggled for about three or four years trying to get myself back to me again. 
And it wasn't until 2019 when my business manager, uh, Chris Azizos, who's also my wife, and my um, my PR director, Patrick, uh, they came to me with an idea of writing a book finally in 2019. And I had to really sit down and, and, and think about it because I wanted to make sure I was in a place where I could really truly talk about everything in my life that I was past it enough and emotionally confident enough to discuss it in a way that was honest and authentic and, and real and not sugarcoat. Because sometimes when you go through really difficult things, uh, you don't really want to talk about it all that much. And so I wanted to make sure I was prepared to talk about my entire journey, not just the high, high notes. So um, I sat with the idea for a while and I realized, you know what? Yes, I am. I'm ready to talk about it. And it was a real um, amazing process. Uh, Wayne and I got introduced to each other. We we sat down, we chatted and uh, decided that we were gonna work together. And we started this book in March of 2020. And so right when the pandemic started, it was really crazy because we, we had met before a couple of months before that. And I drove to New York to actually, you know, sit with him in person because I was doing an event out there in uh, in uh, Western New York. And that's when the pandemic started. They started shutting cities down. And so we talked and then the rest of the time, mostly for the most part, the rest of 2020, we did a lot of things over Zoom and over conversations um, that we were having together. And Wayne, as you know, likes to normally do everything in person, but it made it really difficult. And so for his part, you know, he said this is was one of the most difficult book processes he's ever done because of, of, of the restrictions. Uh, but for me, it was, uh, you know, a real therapeutic process. Um, I just was able to really finally get my story, um, you know, down in, in words, in one place, all the things I've been through, um, all the lessons I learned the good and the bad. And I truly was able to see that at the times that bad things happen, um, you know what, those things can turn out being the best things in your life. Um, you just may not be able to see it at that moment. Um, so I've come full circle on so many different things and was able to have forgiveness in my heart for certain people in my life that I felt wronged me. And then also to you know, forgive myself for some of the things that I've done in my life, and so the book was truly therapeutic, and I and I really truly believe it's gone on to help a lot of people um, in different ways. Well, I can't wait because I understand you actually sent me a book as well that is signed, and I can't wait to to read it and really dive in. But I didn't want to wait to read it to have you on. I wanted people to know about it now, particularly with Christmas around the corner. Right. I think you know from knowing Wayne, and Wayne gave me a tremendous breakdown. I want to encourage people to buy it and give it to you know not just you know young girls but young boys as well, and promote this story, the memoir of of Brianna Scurry, my greatest save, just incredible. Uh, now, listen, when it was finally done, what do you remember about that day when Wayne called you and said, hey, the book is done. We're now ready to you know, send it out and, and get it published. What do you remember about that day? I remember thinking, oh my goodness, <laughs> here we go. And now it's so cool because it's, I, it's almost like it was another, it was an accomplishment of, of, of a sort that was, almost as rewarding for me as winning an Olympic gold medal or World Cup championship. It was a great excitement, but also a great relief 
I mean, athletes all over the world will tell you when they win that big thing, whether it's a championship for a league or a World Cup championship for your country, you have a lot of excitement and also a lot of relief for for the for the journey that you've endured to get to where you're going and to finally be able to see it through um, in the way you wanted to. And so the book is you know, a masterpiece in my mind, I told Wayne, you know, this has to be your magnum opus um, of all books that you've ever written. I know you've done some great things, but we are going to, we are going to write this together and it's going to change lives. And I really think it does. Um, I'm really proud of it. And I mean, if anybody ever asked me anything about my life, I just say, you know what, you can, you can know more than you need to know <laughs> about my life. If you just go, and get the book or, you know, if you like to listen to stuff instead, you can get it on audio as well as in my voice. And so it's just a really great thing to have. And I'm so incredibly proud of it. Well, that's great to know as well on the audio part, but I, I can't wait to get the book. And we're going to dive into the many issues because it wasn't like all of a sudden you showed up at the Rose Bowl and made this great save. <laughs> you had a, an interesting journey along the way. And one of the things Wayne said is to maybe start kind of with the early days and then lead you into Jim Rudy and how he helped initially. Is that a good way to start? Yes, fantastic. Yeah, go ahead. So Jim Rudy, um, my my journey with Jim is is so intriguing. And I I have to say the process of this book, I learned so much about things I didn't know about. Because as an athlete, you you have your path, right? You're you're you know trying to to do the best you can. You're you're honing your skill sets and you're trying to win a championship or win a league or whatever you're doing. So for me in college, you know, we wanted to win the NCAA uh, championship and Jim Rudy was my coach and he found me through a process that was probably unlike most processes. His, my, my club team coach, his name was Pete Swenson and his daughter was recruited by Jim when Jim was at university of central Florida. And she decided she wanted to go to UConn. So she went to UConn instead. And then Jim Rudy went from UCF Central Florida to UMass the next season. And Pete Swenson told Jim about me. And he said, you know, you know, uh, Jim, I know you wanted my daughter at your school, but too bad you weren't at UMass because she probably would have gone there if you were there. But I have this other player, this goalkeeper that I think you really should have a look at. And Jim said, you know what? I don't think so. I already have a really good goalie a goalkeeper and and my coach uh said you know what but you don't have this one and jim was so intrigued by pete talking about me in the way he did he came and saw me play um and i played out of my mind uh this particular tournament in minnesota and uh he said you know what i i think i i like her and i'm gonna bring her in and so at the time sky eddie was at umass and was the the top goalkeeper in the country at the time and so Sky and I went, you know, went, went basically into the arena of goalkeeping, as you know, only one place at a time. Mm -hmm. And so we battled and, and it was so interesting because I, I was so naive. I had not been away from home for more than four days at a time before I went to college. Um, and so here I was going to go to UMass 1500 miles away uh, for four months. And my my brother and sisters, they actually took bets um, how fast I would come back. <laughs> that I would leave school and come back home, but I couldn't handle it. And I showed them. Uh, but, you know, went into battle with Sky and and we and we went after it. And, and Jim, you know, marked every goal and every save and everything was 
was kept track of and and we split time my first year and my my sophomore year you know sky went down on a knee injury in the off season and i played every game and jim and anson were really good friends and they had been for a long time and anson trusted jim on his opinion of goalkeepers uh, he was somewhat of a goalkeeping guru, and I didn't know this, but I found this out later, that Jim was talking to Anson about me basically since my sophomore year at UMass, um, and and keeping Anson, you know, up to date with how I was doing. I had no idea this was happening, and so um, it was just an intriguing journey. And then Sky came back, and now we were both the same year because she had a red shirt, so we were both juniors. We battled again and she decided to leave and went to George Mason for her senior year. And I was at UMass and we both made it to the NCAA final four, our senior year. So Jim Rudy basically had two all American goalkeepers on the same team at the same time. We both made all American that year. Wow. And we went to we, UMass went to the NCAA final four. Like I said, we played against UNC. And we went in there, we had the lowest goals against average in the country, which is saying something back then. And, uh, you know, we thought we could win and absolutely got shelled. <laughs> I got absolutely pummeled against UNC. Back in those days, Mia was playing. She had a penalty kick against me. And it was just an absolute nightmare. But I was spinning on my head, trying to do the best I could and make saves and I was actually disappointed because we lost four to one. I was playing in front of Anson in, in, in person. And I thought maybe I had lost my chance, but as it turned out, I had actually shown him exactly what he wanted to see, which was my potential. Mm. And uh, 10 days later, I was called into camp after losing four to one. And it was just astonishing to me that I said to my coach, I said to Jim, I said, I can't believe I'm going into camp coach. Like he called me in the office to tell me. And I said, well, I, I don't understand. <laughs> we lost. He's like, Bri, it's not just about winning and losing. This is a great lesson that he taught me. He said, it's about things that you can control. It's about your attitude, about the fact that you kept playing when, when the chips were down, that even though the game seemed lost, you kept leading, you kept playing, you kept trying, you know, you, you did not give up. You didn't pout. You just kept after it to the very end and you you showed that you're a leader and obviously you know i made some saves that you know back then women goalkeepers weren't making and so i was able to do all this and and show anson uh from jim's teaching uh two hands get you to the ball move your feet i mean some of the most basic things you could ever hear from a coach but the simplicity of jim's learning and teaching me is what made me such a good goalkeeper um, I just kept it simple. And that's what he did. I mean, he tied from my high school to college and from my college to national team. Jim was a part, you know, one arm brought me into the college and the other arm handed me off to the national team. And he prepared me in a way that got me ready for that penalty kick save. That was his philosophy of goalkeeping and penalties that allowed me to make that save in the 99 World Cup. You're hearing the passionate dare I say, beautiful and awe-inspiring voice of <laughs> Anna Scurry, who has a memoir out written with Wayne Coffey, 
who, by the way, is written 30 amazing books. He's also the father of Sam Coffey, who I think should be on the U.S. national team. The name of that memoir, you can get it at Amazon.com, is called My Greatest Save, Barrier-Breaking Goalkeeper, the story of Brianna Scurry. I want to get into multiple facets of your life because there are so many layers. But before I do, I want to tie it back to UMass because not that long ago, you gave the commencement speech at <laughs> kind of bringing it all home for you, right? Can you comment on that? Absolutely, it did. And and so when I was told I was going to do the commencement speech, I was absolutely thrilled. I mean, I hadn't been back to UMass since I'd say 20, I think I was back there in 2015, but only because I was doing a speech at Amherst College, which was right down the street. So I went back to UMass and it was so intriguing. I hadn't seen it in 15 years. And it was really uh, the same, but different, you know? I mean, as you, if you've ever been on a college campus lately, so many of them have so much construction going on. You know, they have this new building being dedicated and that new building and a stadium here and, you know, these dorms over there and, and UMass looked exactly the same, but different to me. And it was so exciting to see it. And then when I was invited to do the commencement speech this year, this past May, uh, I was able to bring my wife with me and also uh, the video crew from her company came and we just had a wonderful time and it was so awesome to be there. And I spoke a lot about all the things about UMass that I remembered, Antonio's, which is a great pizza place, about all the fun I had there and how I lived in JA, which is like this enormous tower of 27 stories and it's just crazy big and I, I had forgotten how big it was and we actually went there to see the building and I, it was huge <laughs> like it was just so much fun and 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 unfortunately the house I lived in my senior year is no longer there but uh just the history and the tradition of of being there was so cool and doing that commencement speech in front of 19,000 students and I got a standing ovation which was really cool because apparently those students don't normally do that and the fact that they did uh, stood up for me was really cool. And, you know, I was actually also given an honorary doctorate, uh, a, do a doctor's degree in uh, PhD in uh, public service. And I have the actual certificate and the sash and everything. So it's official. Yeah. Uh, I am, I'm Dr. Scurry. <laughs> so who knew? <laughs> I apologize for not properly introducing you to start. But... <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. I forget about it myself. That is fantastic. Yeah. Well, it is. I, 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 love it. I love it. I didn't even know. I didn't understand what they were going to do, but it was, a, it was a legit thing. It was five of us that got honorary doctorates that day in public service. Well, Wayne was super excited for me to make sure that you talked about the fact that you just recently done that you know, with your memoir out as well. Again, I'm going to say it multiple times during this interview. It's called My Greatest Save, Barrier Breaking Goalkeeper. It's a memoir about the great Brianna Scurry. You made a lot of great saves, but let's go to the save against China, one that we'll never forget. It's one that I think woke up the world, let alone the U.S., but definitely woke up the U.S., men and women winning that World Cup. And there were parts of that game afterwards. I didn't even know this, that you were the only openly gay player on that team and how the TV cameras cut away, which is, is wild. But let's start with the save, and then I'll let you kind of just rift a little bit on what that was like. I mean, didn't have a ton of black players. 
didn't have a ton of openly gay players. You were breaking down a lot of barriers while you were also making history in front of this record crowd. Absolutely. I mean, we, you know, we were trying to do our thing as, a, as an athlete, as a, as a footballer, you're just trying to focus on the things that you need to focus on. And, and obviously the, the, the groundswell of activity and excitement and attention that we were getting for that tournament was so amazing and intriguing. Our first game against Denmark at, uh, at Giant Stadium, I mean, we were a little bit worried about being late to the game because of the traffic. And we were like, what, what's going on with this traffic? And we didn't realize it was for our game. So we were, just, we were a little naive about that stuff. And we went in there and, and we were like, there's so many people, we can't get there on time. And then we had this police escort. And it was amazing because all these little girls with their faces painted in, in the window looking at us in the bus. And we're waving at them and they're waving at us. And we were just so like excited about this and coming out and watching that first crowd. Like, it's, it's an interesting thing to feel the, you know, 76,000 people all just talking with each other, right? And then when the players come in from the tunnel, then all of a sudden all that abstract noise becomes one and they start to cheer and it's an amazing, it's almost like a crescendo of of sound that gets unified together and it is emotional so we were all bawling our eyes out watch walking out that first game and we went on a run and that game if you remember you know julie foudy scored which is like a miracle so uh it was three zero and uh back then it was you know austin powers you know she did her little pose and then we just kept rolling and rolling and then the semifinal against brazil i mean they were great and we just got spanked around and Carlo Overbeck and I were so busy that game. I made like seven crazy saves and we somehow won two zero. And then the final against China at the Rose Bowl, 90,000 people. They sold the Rose Bowl out in like four hours or something crazy like that. And it was 107 degrees on the field. <laughs> it was so hot. And the game before us went into overtime and then penalties so we didn't even have time to warm up on the pitch more. I think maybe 10 minutes. It was so crazy. I'm glad they don't do it this way anymore, but it was nuts. And so we're warming up underneath the bowels of the Rose Bowl on the concrete. And we finally get out there and we just have this, this battle. And Michelle Akers essentially took on the entire Chinese midfield by herself. And then towards the end of the regulation, I come out for a cross I punch it and I punch her too, knock her out of the game. If you remember, she's like wobbling around <laughs> after the after the uh, you know initial uh, regular regular phase, and she gets replaced by Sarah Whalen, and then China's just bombarding us. Christine Lilly saves the ball off the line, then we go to the penalties, and now I'm like we were ready because we had trained it. Me and Tony and all the goalkeepers and the teams we trained penalties the whole off season. The whole time leading up, I was as ready as I was ever going to be for penalties. I had taken what I learned from Jim Rudy and incorporated it with Tony. And all I wanted to do and had to do, my job was to save one. And every kicker's job was to make one. And it was that simple. Mm -hmm. And so when they kicked, meaning my team kicked, I had my back to them. I wasn't watching. I would come over here on the side and sit and have my back to the player. And I would know if we shot and scored based on the crowd noise. And then on the third kicker for China, 
I remember walking into the goal, getting ready, and something in my mind said, this is it. And so I knew as I was walking into the goal that I was gonna save number 13's kick. I knew it. I actually looked at her and I hadn't looked at anyone else. And I'm like, this is it. And I get in there and sure enough, I mean, I saved it. I mean, you could see, and, and Brandy's like, I could have saved that one too. I'm like, Brandy, whatever. <laughs> you could see her hips open up. And it was almost like, you hear athletes talk about how the world slows down or how the ball is so big and, or the goal is so big. Well, for me, there's nowhere she could have shot that ball that I wasn't going to save it. And even if that referee made me take the kick over, because I did come off the line a little bit, it's on video, so I'm not going to say I didn't, because I did, I would have saved it anyway. And sure enough, I remember JP Delacamera um, announcing back then, and he still does. He's like, save Scurry, save Scurry. And I was just jumping up, and I just was pumping my fists and roaring essentially and uh i will never forget that and that shot and that save and then brandy shot with the you know in the corner and the jersey coming off i mean we became overnight sensations in that game but that journey took many many years i mean i feel we started that journey um in the olympic games in 96 and then just kept going, building our game in this country and then became overnight sensations. And then all of a sudden, everybody knew who we were. We were America's sweethearts after that. So what about those challenges, though? Uh, I'm looking forward to reading the book because I'm not totally sure when you did come out. But long before you came out, it was pretty obvious that yeah. short of Saskia Weber and maybe Stacey Wilson was on that Olympic team. I can't remember. I, I mean, yeah. there was, oh, how, is that it? Was that it for for black faces on the team? Yeah, so the uh, Olympic team was Stacy Wilson and Saskia was not my backup for the Olympics, but she was my backup for the World Cup. Yeah. And so Wayne and I, in, our, in, our, in the book, we talk about how I was the only player of color that had a core starting position. Right. The only one. And then I was also legitimately the only player that was openly gay. Like no one else was was willing and and in part you know i talked to some of my teammates about this who are now gay or are now out that were then and they were they were worried about it they were afraid they were scared that they were going to be you know left out of things that they would be ostracized that they wouldn't be picked for they were worried about the financial piece of it you know the perception of it and it never occurred to me to not be me and i actually my girlfriend lived with me during that training camp, that six month residency leading up into the World Cup. So I've been out to my teammates from day one. You also have other checklists and it's interesting. You talked about how you punched Michelle Akers, who I still think is the best player this game has ever seen. I don't know how you feel about that. Absolutely, she... I couldn't agree more, yeah. But you also dealt with concussions. Yep. You dealt with weight issues. Yep. Now you have a very important message about mental health so important with so many messages that you're part of an amazing international speakers bureau and i can see it because i'm you know I'm, it's going to sound sycophantic brian but i am stuck on every word you say i mean you yeah i mean i really am i mean you should be 
in the broadcast booth, quite frankly, and you probably have done a, a little bit of that. Uh, okay. Are you going to do more or? I would love to. I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely. Okay, good. But let's go through that checklist. All of them, the, the weight thing, the concussions, mental health, you know, spend your time on all of the things that are in this amazing book. It is the memoir of the great Brianna Scurry, my greatest save barrier breaking goalkeeper written in tandem with the great Wayne Coffey. Go through that checklist and, and tell us what you, you know, your message is on all of those issues. Absolutely. Well, I'll start with being the only player of color um, in a starting position, a core position on the national team. I mean, as you all probably know, um, soccer um, and money, I mean, there's there's a lot of money in the game, right? I mean, you have to pay a lot of money for your child to be able to play the game um, nowadays and also back then. And it's a suburban, normally suburban white predominantly sport. And so my family lived in suburbia. Um, when I was six years old, we moved out of Minneapolis into, into Dayton sub suburbs, which is like 40 minutes away from Minneapolis. And sure enough, my family didn't have a lot of money, but I found this out through my book process is that my coach, Pete Swenson, paid for me. So if it wasn't for my coach, sweet Pete Swenson, because my mom and dad didn't have the money, he paid my fees every year to play on his team. I didn't know this. And he didn't tell me until after my parents had passed because it was a secret that he was willing to keep for them because he didn't want you know them to feel embarrassed or anything by it if I knew that. And so that's the first piece is that I was able to play because my parents were able to you know, get me through that process with all the money. And then I stuck to it, stayed in it. I was all American in high school and I played soccer because it was the sport I knew I would get the biggest scholarship from because we couldn't afford that either. And I got, you know, very fortunate with Pete and Jim and ended up on the national team. And once I got to the national team, I wanted to be an Olympian since I was eight years old. I actually remember watching Lake Placid ice hockey team the 1980 Lake Placid ice hockey team and Jim Craig spinning around on his head as a goalkeeper for the, for the men's team. And I wanted to be an Olympian since I was eight. And so I made a sign that said Olympics 1996, I have a dream and found myself exactly where I wanted to be um, at the age of 24 on a team that could win Olympic gold in the 1996 Olympic games. And so I was there, I started, I played every minute and I absolutely loved it. And then into 99, um, continued to play. And then after 99 World Cup, started to have some changes in my body. I was 28 years old. Um, like I said, overnight, I became America's sweetheart and took my eye off the ball, as my dad would say, and gained 25 pounds in about four or five months after the World Cup. And rolling into the 2000 Olympic Games, as you know, women's soccer, we have our Olympics or our World Cup first and our Olympics the year after. Yep. And so I had weight battles, um, gained that weight and lost my spot. And as you all may know, Siri Mullenix came into play and we played 43 games in 2000. And I played three and lost my spot because I came into training camp unfit got injured, shed splints and pulled a hamstring because of the weight gain right. and was incredibly bitter, angry, and finally fought back, but then realized that I learned a great lesson um, sitting on the bench that year, watching Siri play. 
And the lesson was, you know what, you have to fight for this. And this is not promised to anyone. And if you want it, you're going to have to earn it and to keep it. And to keep it is more difficult than to earn it in the first place. And so I learned some lessons um, that that year and basically went away and came back completely renewed. I had a new attitude about training, about eating, about my weight, about fitness and all these things and came back into the team in 2003 and four. As fit as I'd ever been, I was twice the goalkeeper in 2003 and four that I was in 99. And we won the Olympics in 2004. Um, after that battle I had with myself and my weight. And also after my father passed away in June of uh, 2004, Father's Day. And then I had heavy heart and my teammates were the best teammates ever, you know, supporting me throughout that. And I just came back into the team and my dad would have wanted me to play. So I played and uh, we won Olympic gold two months after he passed. And ironically, it was the same as Jim Craig in the 1980 Olympics. He won Olympic gold roughly two or three months after his mother died. Mm. And so there's a there's an irony and a co combination there that is so uh, just amazing and crazy at the same time. Absolutely. And then during that time, you know, I was the only openly gay player. I mean, after the 99 final, um, you know, you see the, the the cameras follow me. I running into the stands. I run up into the stands and I run up the stairs and the cameras following me. And I'm running to my girlfriend at the time. And I go up to the stands and I'm bawling my eyes out and I kiss her and the camera notices that it's a female, not a male, and it cuts away. And seeing that, I didn't see that until later, obviously. But it 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 really upset me because it turned out that either it was my, I thought it was the goalkeeper, that I was a goalkeeper as to why I didn't get as much media attention. I got a lot of media criticism from coming off the line. I mean, an, an astronomical amount of media criticism. In addition to my fame, I had this criticism and I went on all these talk shows after the 99 World Cup on Rosie O'Donnell. I was on, you know, uh, Regis and, and Kathy Lee. I was, you know, on all these different shows and they all spoke to me. All the hosts said, you know what? I felt like you never got your due. I felt like you weren't represented. I felt like they didn't give you the the time and the and the accolades that you deserved. And I remember thinking, really? Do you really think that? And I I didn't understand it. And I thought to myself, well, maybe it's because I'm a goalkeeper and I didn't score the goal. And then it wasn't until years later when Hope Solo came along as a goalkeeper and did similar to what I did in, in her World Cup um, against uh, Brazil, making penalty kick save. And all the accolades and all the, uh, you know, appearances and all the financial um, windfall that she got that I realized, no, it's not my position. And then it dawned on me that, you know what, maybe it's the way I look, maybe it's my race or because I'm, I'm openly gay. And that was a really, really hard thing to understand. I was the last person to realize it. Mm. So many other people thought that was true. And I was like, no, it's not, it can't be. I didn't want it to be true. I didn't want anything about me 
to hold me back because it had never before. Like I never let the fact that I was the only little black girl playing on all my teams from, you know, t-ball to floor hockey all the way through college to being the only openly gay player on the national team. I never wanted any of that to stop me and it never did. But where it showed up as an issue in air quotes is with the media and with commercial brands, um, sponsorships, endorsements, that kind of thing. And so it, it actually broke my heart because I guess I was just ahead of my time. And the interesting thing about it is now, Megan Rapinoe is one of the most recognizable female athletes in the world. And guess what? She's as gay as I am. <laughs> and guess what else? And I, I think this is one of the most amazing compliments I've ever gotten. She said to me last year, she said, Bri, she said, if it wasn't for you being authentically who you were, being out and gay, it gave me the wherewithal. It gave me the, the freedom to be who I was. And she said, you are a queen and I am so grateful for you. And Abby said something similar as well about me. And that's the kind of appreciation that I hold so dear that trailblazing African-American player, player of color, trailblazing, openly gay, be authentically you, trailblazing mental health. I was talking about it way before everybody else was talking about it. Um, those three things are my three most cherished contributions to the game. And they really don't have anything to do with soccer specifically, they have way more to do with being who you truly are and showing up as yourself every day. And because of that, in your work with the International Speakers Bureau, the way I understand it, and I think it's also featured in your memoir, again, called My Greatest Save, Barrier Breaking Goalkeeper, the memoir of Brianna Scurry, written with the great Wayne Coffey. You make mental health an important part of your message. You may have even made it part of your message at UMass for the commencement speech, I don't know, but it's part of uh, every speech you give almost, is it not? It is. It is It is absolutely vital. So it's so intriguing with me. So mentality is the mindset of a champion. And mentality is something that I was taught by Jim Rudy and by Anson Dorrance. And Anson Dorrance teaches mentality in the soccer sense, and he calls it the competitive cauldron. You know, if, our, if you're put in the deep end of the pool with the highest, best players in the world, day in and day out, if you're able to mentally deal with competing at that level and take the strain and understand it and embrace it, that's the competitive advantage, that's mentality. That's the mentality that the United States has. I was always one of the best with that. So that mentality, but that's not the same as mental health. It is almost the mere opposite of mental health 
in the sense that mentality and being in that competitive space can sometimes crack you and crack your mind in a way that is not healthy. So mentality, if you will, is thinking of it as a coin and it's the edge of the coin. Mental health is the one side and mental depression or recession or issue is the other side of the coin. All great athletes have incredible mentality. Simone Biles, Michael Phelps, Naomi Osaka, myself, but we've all had mental health challenges in our careers. And for the longest time, this was something that you didn't discuss. If you were a high level athlete, you just sucked it up when you started to feel like the weight of the world was crushing you as opposed to you being able to hold it. If you're a professional athlete and if you're high level, razor's edge, the best of the best, you hold the pressure, but there's always times where sometimes it's more than you can handle. And that's when the crack starts to come in. And that's the flip side of the coin when you sometimes need to take a step back and put your mental health first. And so that's something that took me a long time to learn and something I discuss openly. And that's the emotional side of mental health, the emotional side of concussion, of mental health, of how you feel, of how you are in your body, in your mind, in your skin. There's times an athlete where it is just too much to handle. And it often happens at the most inopportune time. I mean, Simone Biles is a fantastic example of that. And I praised her in the last Olympic games when she said, you know what? I just can't right now. That was the bravest act that Simone could have ever done for not only herself, for her sport and every single high level athlete in the world by saying, you know what? I can't do this right now because I might get hurt physically and mentally if I don't stop because it was just too much. And Michael Phelps has talked about it a lot. But I was one of the first ones to talk about it. I've been talking about mental health since 2013. I testified before Congress about concussion specifically, but the mental and emotional piece of concussion, not the physical, uh, emotional piece together, but the emotional piece and specifically, which is the piece that men tend to not discuss. NFL players who you've heard all these stories about them doing things that weren't characteristic of them, all these emotional and physical symptoms they've had, but they don't talk about the emotional piece because as a male athlete, it's taboo. You don't talk about your feelings. You tough it out. You just figure it out. You go through, you run through the brick wall. It doesn't matter how you feel. Well, guess what? It does matter how you feel. How you feel is your life. How you go through your day how you feel is everything. And that's the piece of mental health that I started talking about with Congress that I started talking about in my speeches that most people steer away from. And that's the piece that I talk about most extensively in my book is the emotional part that most people won't touch. Outstanding. The name of the book, again, it is, it's called My Greatest Save, Barrier Breaking Goalkeeper. 
written in tandem with the great Wayne Coffee. You can get it at Amazon.com. It's available at your independent bookstores and really wherever books are sold. I'm sure as you've listened to Brianna Scray, if you're like me and, and you love soccer and you know all these iconic moments and everything else that she shared about her life as you know being at one time the only black player out there, the only openly gay player out there, mental health, concussions, and so much more, consider the book for a Christmas gift as well for young people to inspire them. I want to end with this as, you know, we've covered so much, including the fact that you were the first black women's player to go in the U S soccer hall of fame. Congratulations on that as well. And that is if folks heard nothing else, but what you have to say about knowing the importance of writing your story, your memoir, my greatest save, barrier-breaking goalkeeper. If they hear nothing else but what you say right now, what do you want people to know about the biggest takeaway from your memoir, a very special book indeed? I would say that in everyone's life, you will have ups and downs. You will have successes and perceived failures. But I want to say that you can make everything that happens in your life be something that supports you, something that is to your advantage. I have taken three of the most difficult, tragic, sad, soul-consuming things in my life and turned them around and made them a springboard for the next level. I took my concussion, which was literally caused me to be on the edge of a waterfall thinking about jumping in and committing suicide to something that became a stage for me to stand on to be my greatest self, to be my most authentic self. It was it became something that was a source of inspiration and power for me. But going through it, it doesn't seem that way. Going through the thing, whatever it is you're going through, may not seem right now like it's going to help you. But if you extract the lessons, if you continue to be resilient, if you continue to have your mind and your heart open, it can become one of your greatest gifts. Amen, I like that. And as we say goodbye, it was great to spend time with you beforehand to tell you about my experiences with that first World Cup team in 91 and Anson and a lot of the superstars that you would end up playing with. And then also my experience at the Black Soccer Coaches Legends event almost a year ago in January. As you look now at the men's national team, the women's national team, colleges and pros, we're still not there, but I also know Another important message for you is DEI, and there's progress there. I was moved by it by attending that event. I had to share that story again, not for a pat on the back, but just because I'm hopeful, right? Please tell me you're hopeful. I am absolutely hopeful. I mean, especially on the women's side. Right now, we have such an amazing amount of talent. Players of color that are in strong position to make huge impact 
in the next one, two, three cycles. You know, you have Trinity Rodman, Mal Pugh, Sophia Smith. Um, you have, you know, Crystal Dunn, Midge Purse. I mean, you have such amazing players in the mix now that are going to be there for a long time, that are going to be starters, that are going to be relevant and important to success of this women's team for the next two or three cycles. And that is amazing. And those are players that I named that will have the team on their shoulders and they will carry it together. And I'm so happy to see the diversity on the team and not just of color, but also of orientation. I mean, Megan Rapino on the team and, and several other players who, you know, uh, Kristen Press who are openly gay and also players of color. And third that I don't mention often, but I am also entrepreneurial. All of these players are entrepreneurs in their own right. And they are dynamic. Naomi Gurma is a great example of that. Alana Cook is a great example. Mitch Purse, these three women who I spoke to who are phenomenal players, but even more amazing people. Two went to Stanford, one went to Harvard. Are you kidding me? I mean, these three players are gonna be on this team for a long time and they're gonna take it to the next level, a levels that I have never even imagined the team could go to. Talking to them last year, was one of the greatest honors of my in interview career, just speaking with them. They are above and beyond anything I could have possibly imagined a young player of color on the women's team to be. To be fair, this is one of my greatest interviews in my interview career, spending time with you, Diana Scurry. You are amazing. I'm so glad that the memoir is out. It's Christmas time, folks. Go to Amazon.com and find my greatest save, barrier-breaking goalkeeper, the memoir written with Brianna Scurry and Wayne Coffey. Brianna Scurry, an honor for you to kick off this show. Happy holidays to you Thank and you. all the best in all you do as you continue to break down barriers. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And let's go USA. Happy holidays, everyone. Happy holidays indeed. And I think after you listen to that interview, you will be interested in getting the memoir on Brianna Scurry. What a story and what a fun interview. I really enjoyed that. Hope you did too. We're not done. As coming up next, we meet Rudy Zimmerman, who was just announced as the winner of the distinguished Robert W. Robinson High School Long-Term Service Award. Rudy Zimmerman's been around a long time. He'll even say in the interview he doesn't look for the spotlight, but man, he deserves it. As in addition to his work in high school soccer, which we'll cover right around the corner, he also has been in the role as the convention program manager at its national convention for more than 25 years. Like he is truly like the traffic controller at an airport running this massive event. And a lot of you probably don't even realize he's doing it. He's that cool of a guy. Rudy Zimmerman, the recipient of the Robert W. Robinson High School Long-Term Service Award and just a wonderful human being. He is next after these messages.
The home of all coaches is headed to Anaheim, California. Join us at the 2024 United Soccer Coaches Convention held January 10th through the 14th. For our first time on the West Coast in over five years, we're pulling out all the stops with brand new special topics diplomas, world-class presenters like Randy Waldrum and Carla Thompson, one-of-a-kind pop-ups, 200-plus education sessions, and so much more. Register now by going to unitedsoccercoachesconvention.org. Register before December 14th to beat the price increase and join us in Anaheim. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast where on November 9th, United Soccer Coaches announced the recipients of the association's 2023 long-term service awards for college, high school, and youth soccer. The awards are presented annually to members who exhibited a career of contributions at their level of the sport and a continued commitment of service to the association. Becky Burley will be recognized for college. Amy Griffin will be recognized for youth. And my next guest, Rudy Zimmerman, will be recognized for high school. Before we welcome in the aforementioned Rudy Zimmerman, let me tell you a little bit more about him. He is from the great state of Virginia, and he is receiving the distinguished Robert W. Robinson High School Long-Term Service Award. If you know even just a little bit about United Soccer Coaches, you know that Robbie Robinson is beloved. A United Soccer Coaches member since 1983, Mr. Zimmerman has served with distinction on behalf of high school soccer at the state, regional, and national level throughout his career as a secondary school educator, coach, and athletics administrator. Born in Germany but raised in the Philadelphia area, Rudy Zimmerman attended West Virginia University, I like that, by the way, where he was a member of the Mountaineer soccer program and went on to earn his undergraduate degree. He then earned his master's degree from George Mason University. He served as head coach of boys soccer at Garfield High School in Woodbridge, Virginia from 1976 to 2002 and was also the director of student activities from 2002 until his retirement in 2011. As coach, his teams won district and regional championships and sportsmanship awards from the high school soccer referee associations. He was named the 1981 Potomac Newsboys Coach of the Year. In 2014, the Garfield High School Stadium Field was named in his honor. Zimmerman's greatest service and impact to United Soccer Coaches has been in his role as the convention program manager at its national convention for more than 25 years. Soak that in, everybody. He continues in that role and manages the placement of dozens of field and classroom clinics, demonstrations, and other educational sessions in large convention centers and hotels that serve as the sites for the annual gathering of soccer coaches each January. Rudy was mentored for that role by Roy Gordon, another Virginian, a United Soccer Coaches past president, honor award recipient, and Hall of Fame inductee from the University of Mary Washington, where Zimmerman also served as volunteer assistant coach for years. Finally, Rudy Zimmerman previously received the association's Certificate of Appreciation, a letter of commendation in 2009. He has also been recognized with its annual Presidential Recognition Award in 2020 and the Chief Executive Officer Award of Appreciation in 2021. Rudy, thanks for your patience as we read your impressive bio there. But most importantly, Rudy Zimmerman, you have been named the Robert W. Robinson High School long-term service award winner you'll be recognized at this convention i'll be up there on that stage when you learned rudy zimmerman that you got this prestigious award and you've had others 
Can you put into words how it made you feel? Well, it, it, it was unbelievable. Of course, at first I couldn't, you know, I thought, are you serious? It's me. And, <laughs> but in any case, I'm, I'm just absolutely honored by that. I got to meet Robbie um, way back in 1996, I think. That was the first time I, I was introduced to him, where I was being interviewed by Robbie for the position that I have right now, helping uh, with the convention planning. So I've been impressed and awed by his accomplishments over the years and what a great guy he is. And then to get this award in with his name is uh, something that is, is just unbelievable. United Soccer Coaches is always pretty cheeky on how they let you know you want it. Is your story similar? Well, I got a call from uh, Jeff Farnsworth uh, alerting me that I'd gotten that award. And, and again, I said to Jeff, are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he said, oh, yeah, yes, he said, it's definitely you. I said, it's not a wrong number. So, uh, you know, th that was pretty cool. And, uh, and then later on, Steve Veal uh, sent me the official letter. So, uh, you know, that, that I don't know how cheeky that is, but uh, it, it was pretty cool. And, and uh, I turned to my wife. I said, can you believe this? And of course, she's my biggest supporter over the years. I've been married for 48 years. So uh, she's been through it all with me. Well, let's hear her name because uh, I think we need to hear her name. What's your wife's name, Rudy? Yeah, her first name is Janine. And a lot of people get that mixed up. And we're, the two of us are notorious for people looking at our name tags and then turning around and going the other way because her name is hard to pronounce if you read it. And uh, my really my real first name is Rudiger, which is a, a German name. So I just shortened it to Rudy because it was so much easier. But yeah, uh, Janith Hammer Zimmerman is her name, and she's been my uh, my soulmate. Oh, I love that. I love hearing those kind of stories. I'm definitely a romantic. So well done to you to say that. I appreciate that. If you've listened to the podcast even for a second, I love high school soccer. Both my boys were basketball players that played high school soccer. Both my boys actually, and they were big time basketball players, still talk more about their time on the soccer team than on their high school basketball team. It was just a different kind of camaraderie. In your own words, talk about why you think high school soccer is so important and what makes it so great. High school soccer is, is depending on where you are, where I grew up in Philadelphia, it was what helped me assimilate with society, we, we we came over in 1957 from Germany. My my mother and father are both German. I was a natural born German, and soccer in general is what helped us assimilate with society. I became a citizen in 1967. High school was a big part of my life. Soccer is what helped me form my identity, and uh, the relationships you have there is, are fantastic, as in any other sport. But you know, the thing about high school soccer and kids playing high school soccer is you're, you are a part of a much larger thing, and that is the school itself. You know, when you play a sport, whether it's soccer or basketball or baseball or whatever you have, you represent that school with pride. And I think a lot of kids who don't play high school soccer or any high school sport miss out on that connection and that support. And there's nothing like walking through the school halls the day after a game and whether you win or whether you lose, you know, the kids are congratulating you or consoling you. And and uh, I think the connection there is just a huge part of a good education. So well said. We're here with Rudy Zimmerman, the recipient of this year's Robert W. Robinson 
High School Long-Term Service Award. You saw me get fired up, and I liked your reaction as well, knowing that you went to West Virginia. Some of my favorite calls were on Fox Soccer Channel from Dick Delesque Stadium. I think I'm saying that right, where they packed the house for men and women's soccer, as you know. I don't know if they did it back when you were there, but they certainly do it now. Can you talk about uh, what you enjoyed most about being a, a mountaineer at West Virginia? I was raised in Philadelphia, which was you know, a big city at the time. Uh, I think it was the third largest city in the, in the country uh, back in the 60s. When I went to West Virginia, I was recruited there. And the guy that helped me get there was Walter Barr. He was a coach at Frankfurt High School, which was a rival high school in Philadelphia. He uh, actually got me into West Virginia through the convention. I don't know where that was, but uh, he spoke to the coach there who, who left before I got there and said, you know, I know a couple of kids. Would you be interested in, in taking them on? And on his word, myself and one of his uh, kids, uh, David Gregory from Frankfurt High School, were offered uh, a scholarship to attend West Virginia and, and play soccer there. So the convention really has a connection to me way back before I even realized that it did. So uh, I got to West Virginia in 69. I fell in love with the place. What a wonderful state. What a fantastic school. We didn't get as much exposure as they are right now. You know, our boys are going to the Final Four. So we're, we're excited about that. I've been following them. John McGrath was the coach, first-year coach there. And we didn't pack the house. <laughs> the one time we did was because they allowed us to play prior to a football game. So everybody was there for the football game and were forced to watch us. So we had maybe about 15,000 people there, but they weren't really there for us by the end of the game. But that was pretty cool. So our practice field was right there where Dick Delesque Stadium is now. And uh, it was just basically a cow pasture what they've done out there and developed that athletic facility. It's a beautiful place. Rudy, make no mistake. Your accomplishments in high school soccer are outstanding. But to be fair, what you have done as the convention program manager for more than 25 years is quite frankly unparalleled. And yet you've done it, in my opinion, and I don't know everything. In fact, I don't know much. But in my opinion, you've done it without seeking any attention at all. That is a massive role, and it seems to me a role that, like, you know, after, I don't know, 10 years or so, like, hey, I'm going to pass this on to somebody else, and yet you're charging on, you're still doing it. Tell me why. Why do you have this incredible love to be the convention program manager? And people that are listening, you probably don't even understand how big this is, but everything that is mapped out as far as the program and when things are you know, Rudy's got his fingerprints all over it. It's a massive job, Rudy. Why? And 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 I'm assuming it's because you love it. I want to hear your answer. Well, that, that's that's true. And it has grown over the years. I mean, when I first started this, it was all done on paper and pencil. And you know, you would draw the little grids on a on a piece of paper and block things in. And you know, I like doing crossword puzzles. So maybe that's that's one of the reasons why. When Roy was was working his way into the presidency, he did this uh, a couple of years prior to me. So I started in Nashville and I followed uh, Jill Shackford around. She was she was doing it at that time. So she broke me in. And my first full convention was Cincinnati. 
And it really wasn't, you know, too much of a, a problem because it, we, I mean, we've grown exponentially since then. And so I uh, was able to do things with, with Roy's guidance and his help. And then I don't know, the years just, just went on. And, and as it grew, I didn't realize how much it grew. And as you said, when I step back and I look at the big picture, you know, I, I, it scares me. So I, I stay in the background. I, I keep my nose to the grindstone and, and I just try to, to do the best job I can with it. And now with the uh, event of, you know, computer scheduling systems, it makes it a little bit easier. But uh, my job has fluctuated over the years as, as the, the association grew. I was much more involved with helping with the, with the clinicians and communicating with them and getting things done, particularly over the course of the last four or five years. And this year, I've handed it back uh, to the main office because we grow in the main office and people take on more responsibilities. I always prefer working in the background. I don't like the limelight, as I told you when you called me up about doing the podcast, it just scared me to death. I, I don't like being out in front, but I'm a worker and I was raised that way by my father and and uh, you don't seek the limelight and you do your job and you do it as best you can. Well, as you remember, I introduced you to Adam Hayes, who's going to follow you on this week's podcast. That also includes the great Brianna Scurry, who made that incredible save in 99 for the U.S. women to win the World Cup. So I love this show. I love all three guests, you know, and I told Adam, I said, this guy's the air traffic controller. You actually had to give me the word, even though I'm a professional talker. I didn't know the word. You had to you had to give me the word. And it, it very much is an air traffic controller, right? Yeah, when we're on site, I mean, I've got uh, six, seven people that work for me at the convention, and we spread out and we try to cover every session that's going on, making sure that the presenter is there and that he's hooked up with our sound technician and that he feels comfortable in the role and that everything that that speaker needs is there. I'm running around, and a lot of times I can't go to my my room for a quiet moment or two because my my phone goes off because this is needed or that is needed or a certain problem needs to be solved. So, uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, uh, when you think about an air traffic controller, that goes pretty much hand in hand with, with what I do on site, but you know, I'm, I'm not the end all. There are some great people that I work with that help me and that, that are even bigger organizers than me. They are the ones that make it fun to work with during the planning process at the convention Erica does an amazing job because uh, she's really there at the top of the heap. Jeff Van Dusen turned it over to her a few years ago, and, and she was one of his, his uh, interns, and she's done an amazing job. And Angie is also, which took over Jeff's role when he went in to be the CEO, and uh, Angie Eliason. And uh, they, those, the two of them really make it, make it fun for me to do what I do. They treat me well. And, um, you know, until they're ready to tell me to move on, I'll hang around or until I can't do crossword puzzles anymore. Well, there you go. Because you know sports very well and you went to West Virginia, you know that, I mean, they've had some famous coaches, including Coach Bowden and everything. And now you're seeing all of these big time coaches sign 10 year contracts. Uh, they didn't ask me to do this, but, you know, Rudy, I'm looking to get like a 20 to 25 year contract extension out of you in this role. Are you ready for that, Rudy? Or are you just going to go year by year? What are you doing here? 
Yeah, only if when they fire me, I can still walk away with seven million dollars or whatever it is that that would work out well. Oh. Uh, that that just flabbergasts me. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, go ahead, make it work. <laughs> All right, awesome. Well, Rudy, I'm not done with you because I told you this when I was able to connect with you, and I, I agree with you. You do kind of not like the limelight, but in your own way. I've always noticed you and I've always noticed that you've been super respectful of me. You like, you know, you don't get in my face, but you just kind of give me this nod and like just your nod tells me that, Hey, I'm good with Rudy. Rudy's good with me. Rudy knows I love the association. I know he loves the association. I feel like that's who you are, Rudy. And from my heart, I mean it. And I think people appreciate that about you. That's very nice of you to say. I really don't know. I just don't know what to say about getting that long-term service award. Uh, it's it's just, uh, it's going to make it easier for me to do my job, uh, knowing that I'm appreciated. And I've always known that I've been appreciated. And anybody who works for anybody, that'd be the number one thing that they say that's more important than what pay they might get, you know, what recognition they might get. It's It's who you work for. Uh, and and the environment that's so important. Glad you mentioned Steve Beal. He was so excited to hear that I had picked you this week to be on this show. He sends his best. I know you appreciate that as well. And, you know, Steve, like you, like me, like so many that are around, you know, first it was NSCAA, now it's United Soccer Coaches. No matter what it is, we know what it means. So I want to end with that, if we can, Rudy Zimmerman. Right now, it's called United Soccer Coaches. It was previously called NSCAA. Either way, when you hear those words, what does it mean to Rudy Zimmerman? It means everything in my education. When I joined the NSCAA, uh, I was assistant coach to uh, Roy Gordon at, at uh, what is now University of Mary Washington. And I was in his office one, one day, and I saw these magazines laying on his, on his coffee table. And I just started leafing through them. And I said to him, what is this? And he said, well, this is the, the journal that's put out by the National Soccer Coaches Association of America. He said, you know, I, I think it'd be a great thing for you to join. So they, they, of course, picked my interest. I did join. And I mean, I sat through every session I could sit through during the convention. And I just took oodles and oodles of notes. And the association was really how I grew in my coaching over the years. So I owe everything to them for my coaching education. I, I do have my USSF license from back way back, but the association is really what fleshed it all out for me. And so I, I owe that to them. And I wanna make sure that new coaches uh, and people that come in get exposed to this because I really think that what we have to offer is just a tremendous benefit to their careers. Rudy Zimmerman, he is the recipient of this year's Robert W. Robinson High School Long-Term Service Award, and he continues to serve in the amazing role as the convention program manager now for more than 25 years. He'll be on that stage Friday night. I'll be up there with him. I hope I get the chance to shake your hand up there, Rudy. I want to congratulate you on this well-deserved honor, and I also want to thank you for being the man that you are. And also want to thank you for being on this week's United Soccer Coaches podcast. It's indeed my honor, Rudy. Congratulations on all your success. And I'll see you in Anaheim. Okay. All right, Dean. Thank you very much. I look forward to seeing you there as well.
Hard not to love that man, Rudy Zimmerman. What a great interview and certainly a well-deserved recipient of the Distinguished Robert Robertson Award with dedication to high school. We have, over the last several weeks, been spending time on a diploma that will run during the convention. The diploma is called Modern Club Administration and Management. Overseeing it is the former CEO from United Soccer Coaches, the great Joe Cummings. There are 10 sessions with seven presenters. We've already met several of the presenters. It's my goal to try to meet all seven of them to make sure you know how cool this diploma is. Again, called Modern Club Administration and Management. Coming up next, we'll meet Adam Hayes, who is running one of the sessions as part of the diploma called Club Governance, Board Management, and Human Resources. His ties to Joe Cummings go all the way back to Joe's time as a club coach with soccer scene way back in Massachusetts. And to add to Joe's story, fast forward 20 plus years from the soccer scene days when Adam Hayes took over as executive director of FC Boulder. He was full of energy and excitement, but low on experience and know-how. And Joe Cummings took multiple hours out of his time to help him map and build a budget and forward-thinking club model. This is a grateful man, Adam Hayes. He is a wonderful man, and that's who we're going to spend time with when we return. Adam Hayes will have one of the sessions, part of the Modern Club Administration and Management Diploma. It's called Club Governance, Board Management, and Human Resources. It'll be Thursday, January 11th, and we meet Adam Hayes after these messages. As a soccer coach, you're no stranger to developing your players. But how are you developing your own expertise? As a United Soccer Coaches member, you receive access to a range of resources, like our online learning platform, The Training Ground, to aid in the growth and enhancement of your coaching skills and career. From coaching education courses to lifestyle services, take advantage of new opportunities and member benefits with an annual United Soccer Coaches membership for just $125. Join the home of all coaches today at unitedsoccercoaches.org. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast. An awesome show today. What a visit with Brianna Scurry, a true pioneer in the women's game with so many stories to tell. Also want to congratulate Rudy Zimmerman for being recognized for his excellence. And we end the show with Adam Hayes, who is a great part of the Modern Club Administration and Management Diploma led by Joe Cummings that we've been talking about quite a bit over the last several weeks. Short of last week with our special Thanksgiving edition, we took one week off from the Modern Club Administration and Management Diploma. Ten sessions, seven presenters. We've met quite a few of them. We're about halfway through. Really excited now to meet Adam Hayes as he is going to run a session, part of the diploma called Club Governance, Board Management, and Human Resources. Adam Hayes is currently on the executive board of the Colorado Soccer Association, and he is a senior account executive with Playmetrics. He lives in God's country. Everybody knows that listens to this show. They know I love living in Colorado. I miss it quite a bit. 
He's out there in Boulder right now. I'm so jealous. But with that, we welcome Adam Hayes. Welcome, Adam. Dean, thank you so much. Really excited to have a chance to chat with you today. Appreciate you guys asking. Yeah, I'm thrilled. And, you know, Joe Cummings right away said that you played for his club soccer scene way back in Massachusetts and came to camps as a youth player. So obviously you already had that natural tie as Joe was looking for key people to be a part of this diploma. So you can talk about that. But then when Joe reaches out and says, hey, we're running this diploma in Anaheim, we want you involved. I can't say no to Joe. I'm assuming you're the same way. I've known Joe for you know, close to 30, 32 years. I don't think I've said no once in that whole time frame. Um, as a young kid, I, I grew up in central Massachusetts and was playing, as you mentioned, in this club called Soccer Scene. And, um, and Joe was the club director, right? Northboro, Massachusetts, um, played there for four or five years, went to the summer camps. I have a trophy at my parents' house of, I think, most improved camper one year and maybe best attitude camper one year from, from those events. Uh, you know, and then fast forward, you know, 20 years later, I'm, I'm working in the, the youth soccer scene as an executive director out here in, in Boulder, Colorado. And, and my first call when I got the opportunity to take the job was to Joe. And I said, hey, I'm super excited, enthusiastic, ready to run, but I'm scared. I need some help. <laughs> and can you can you lend me an ear? And uh, of course, uh, it was his turn to not say no to me. Right. And, and he gave me the opportunity to spend some time and bend his ear and start to kind of grow professionally in the youth soccer landscape. So appreciate it when I was 12 years old, appreciate it in my 30s and 40s as well. Well, this is big because, you know, when they add diplomas to the convention, they're serious about it. And it is not just, you know, throw it up on the wall and hope it sticks. I mean, they want it all to stick. He's got 10 dedicated sessions. And yours, again, is called, because I think repetition is information, is called Club Governance, Board Management, and Human Resources. To you, what does that mean as you explain it to all of our listeners here on the podcast? Sure. You know, on the surface, it may not be the most exciting uh, title or topic, but it's the bones of your operation, right? As, as an organization, um, if you're not organized in how you're governing your or steering your ship, right, governing your business, if you're not organized in how you're creating assets to come in and support you from the board level, and if you're not organized in how you're assessing and bringing in uh, quality staff, coaches, support folks, volunteers, et cetera, then that can create you know, a leaky boat everywhere you turn, and that creates a ton of extra work, and your focus comes away from uh, you know, from the task at hand, right, which is producing a wonderful environment for kids, particularly to grow their love of the game, grow their development in the game and, and become better, uh, better soccer players and better people. However, if you can shore up those those areas of your business and of your operations, then you can focus your time and energies on the parts that you really want to, you know, put your fingerprints on and develop, you know, as an organization. So from a leadership standpoint, I always felt like if I could get my foundation to be crack free, right? I keep using analogies here, but the boat to be leak free, get the foundation to be crack free, then I could uh, I could really put time and energy into the areas that I wanted to to grow and improve for the you know, benefit of the players in my club. So to be able to talk on this, it, it's again, is it the most exciting topic on the list? It may not be, but is it a really important piece of creating the environment we talk about all the time to have kids you know grow and develop in the game? I think it's I think it's critical. Once again, the diploma led by former CEO of United Soccer Coaches and a man who is in a ton of Hall of Fames and is a soccer legend, Joe Cummings, is called Modern Club Administration and Management. Adam Hayes' session called Club Governance, Board Management, and Human Resources will be on Thursday, January 11th. Again, all of this is out in Anaheim. You all know this because we've been covering it over the last month. Adam's session is from 2.30 
to 3.30. As you think about it right now, and I know you've got time to fine tune it and stuff, and I normally wait till the end, but I also want to get to know you a little bit better. What are maybe two or three of the takeaways you definitely want people to leave your lecture with as part of this diploma? That's the three, three o'clock in the morning, wake up and jot a couple notes down kind of question. Um, and I've had a few of those in the last couple of weeks. The big thing for my presentation style, and this was true when I was teaching in the university at the University of Colorado setting, and it's been true as, uh, as I've gone forward is I want conversation. I want presentations to be conversational. I want there to be interaction, right? So am I the smartest person in the room on this topic? I'm going to raise my hand and say, probably not, right? And everybody else in the room may have the same reaction. Um, can we swap and share stories? Can we give an experience? Can we have an anecdote that kind of leads to a takeaway, right? And if we're there for an hour, an hour and 15 minutes together, are there two or three things that you can take away and, and, and think about and, and spend some time with over the course of that rest of the convention, maybe come back to once or twice and have a touch point whether it's with me or another colleague in the room that then you can go home to your club with, right? And what are those? I, I'm, and to answer your questions specifically, I don't know. I don't know what those two or three things takeaway are because we're probably going to have 10 or 12 of them that come up in the course of our time. And you may, if you're in that room, Dean, you may take away these two and someone else may take away a different two. Um, so specifically, I don't know, but the the outcome that or the experience I want to provide for the for the audience and for myself, you know, as well is interactive, interactive, conversational uh, sharing of ideas. It's not a panel discussion. It's not going to be a, you know, pass the mic and we all get 30 seconds kind of a setup. I think that's not what this is designed for. But I do think that there's going to be really good opportunity to share and to if people come in open and people come in willing to be present for the hour. Um, there'll be some real nuggets to take home with you that can make your, I think your, your clubs, um, your experience at your own club, you know, enhanced. Adam Hayes, part of the Modern Club Administration and Management Diploma taking place during the convention in Anaheim. That'll be here, at, you know, sooner than you think as it's in early January. Once again, his session is called, as I mentioned, Club Governance, Board Management and Human Resources. We already kind of covered the fact that when Joe calls and says, you know, hey, I need you to do something. That's one thing, but I'll switch it since you're still thinking about your takeaways. What do you think Joe Cummings' takeaways are as he put this session together? What did he explain to you as he was putting together what are 10 sessions done by seven different presenters? Sure. I think I think because of the the breadth of presenters we have and the different backgrounds we all come from, I think that's exactly what you're what you're referring to in terms of there's more than one way to lead an organization, right? And club governance is sort of this umbrella term. You know, is your board an operational board? Is it a fiduciary board? Is it an oversight board? Is your is your style of leadership uh, all encompassing? We're all in this together, linking arms and walking hand in hand. Or is it no? It's a you know pyramid style, and one person makes decisions, and things kind of cascade down from the top. I think exposing the different ways to run an organization, to govern your your club, um, and, and knowing that there isn't the perfect way, right? There's many different ways that could be quote unquote perfect for your your particular situation, is what I think Joe is building when he puts this conversation together. Right? We've got folks who run large organizations on this club. You get folks like myself who used to run organizations and now sit on state, you know, state governance, you know, directions. Um, so we've got a um, variety of folks that are going to be sharing their ideas and, and their experiences with the audience over the course of the the four days out in Anaheim. And I think that that's my piece that Joe's articulated to me is um, share your experiences share what you've done really well, share the areas that you've messed up because you have done those too, right? We all do and, and help that become one example of how you can organize and lead, um, you know, uh, clubs of all shapes and sizes going forward. I've been to a ton of conventions 
they have me doing everything from podcast row to emceeing the honor awards banquet in the college soccer coaches. And then they'll say, Hey, Carly Lloyd's here, come over and interview her. And I feel like I'm able to get it all done because it's such a high, it's such an adrenaline. I wish I would have asked some of the other presenters this question, but now that you're on and you're alive out there in Colorado and feeling good, can you just kind of address that? Because I believe folks that need to know, you know, about modern club administration and management can make it work and still get to other sessions. They can still get the networking done that they need to do. They can still get to the banquets and to the NWSL draft and everything else. Do you feel the same way about that? hundred percent agree. Um, I've been to every convention. I, I want to say every convention since 2010 with one exception when my daughter was born, she was born in the holiday season. So I wasn't allowed to go three weeks later, uh, which made sense, but I've been to everyone. I've been as, as a young coach eager to watch field sessions and have notebooks filled with, you know, arrows and, and, and dots and circles. I've been as a club director. I've been as a director of coaching. Um, I've been as a uh, state uh, board member. I've been as a expo hall presenter. Uh, and now I'm going as as a as a presenter myself, right? Which is which is pretty fantastic. So there is no reason that you need to feel as an attendee that you're tied in or locked into one path, right? The paths are divergent; they come back together. They're very um, you know connected over the course of those times. Um, the one thing that that I've found that has really played well for me, and I would certainly offer a little bit of advice to it was new new convention goers or just. Yeah, a thought for for veteran attendees is whenever you're in a situation, be it a lecture, a session, a a, a meeting in the hallway, right, a, a, a beer at the bar, um, be present in that moment, right. There's there's this there's this angst people can feel about what's next, where am I going to be next? I have to get from here to there. It's almost done. I got to leave early. I'm on my phone. I'm doing text. I'm I'm trying to connect with the next person, and you lose the presence of being you know present in that space at that time. And the, the times that I found most beneficial for me wasn't the volume of how many checkboxes I ticked off over the course of four days. It was the how many significant, unique, important, meaningful connection moments I had during those times. And, and being present in each situation you're in, I think really leads to a really enriching experience that um that that can buoy you going into the spring season into the whole next year, right? Of of your of your um of your soccer path. So that'd be my my advice. But um yeah, having worn not every hat that you've worn, Dean, but I've worn probably half of that many over the course of the conventions. That's my that's my takeaway for for folks coming in. Sage advice right on point. And I feel like you actually explained it better than I could. So I appreciate that. As we're here with Adam Hayes, he is part of the Modern Club Administration and Management Diploma led by Joe Cummings, where they'll have 10 sessions, seven different presenters, including Mr. Hayes, who will be on center stage Thursday, January 11th, 2.30 to 3.30, as he covers club governance, board management, and human resources. All right. Let's get the rest of the story, and I mean that not in the way that Joe and you kind of talked about how you knew each other. I mean your rest of the story. Adam, tell us where you grew up, where you went to college, how you ended up in Colorado. Give us your story. Blake Canvas. Okay. Uh, I appreciate you asking. Uh, grew up in central Massachusetts, a small town called uh, called Rutland. Um, on our town common, there's a, a plaque and a tree. And it says this plaque represents the uh, central, the, the center point of the state of Massachusetts. So it's truly the center of the state. Um, and grew up, uh, grew up in a small town, uh, and, and was very fortunate to have a, a really um, 
healthy and and uh, and positive uh, upbringing in, in that space. So I'm grateful for all the folks that were supportive of of that. Um, and then took the opportunity to, you know, in terms of college and graduate school to, you know, in my mind, explore the country, right? So I ended up uh, spending time in North Carolina, I went to Wake Forest University in Winston-Salem for four years um, and graduated in 2001, uh, spent a year uh, back in Massachusetts in the Boston area working in, in, in being in 21, if that makes sense. And then, uh, and then pursued graduate school out in Boulder, Colorado, at the University of Colorado Boulder. Um, so I used that opportunity to quote unquote explore the West, right? So I explored the South, I explored the West in my mind at the time, anyhow, and uh, and then settled here and have been here since you know since I arrived in 2020, 2002. Um, so that's now 21 years ago. I've uh, been out here in the Boulder, Colorado area. Um, spent uh, the first six and a half years post uh, grad school uh, actually teaching as part of the faculty at the university. Um, was teaching integrative physiology, exercise physiology, human anatomy, um, cadaver labs, you know, hands-on types of of, uh, of science study. And, and that lifestyle, if you will, um, allowed me the chance to pursue coaching. And I've been playing for a long time. I played my whole life and had a couple of knee surgeries and knee injuries in my mid-20s as I was playing in the adult and the leagues out here and um, kind of turned my, my direction towards the coaching uh, opportunity in 2006. And uh, up until uh, up until May of this year, uh, have been coaching right every every year. And I uh, took this uh, took this fall off. I'm now a soccer dad. You know, wearing my 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 kids uh, my kids colors on the weekend and and supporting them through their soccer experiences. One's a U16 and um, and one is uh, now in the U11s. So um, they're both playing on the competitive side of the soccer scene. But spent some time. I uh, spent about six and a half years at the university teaching. That opened the door to go into youth soccer full time, and I became a director of coaching for a club called Boulder County Force. Three years later, that club had. Uh, morphed and grown and developed and expanded into what we what we call FC Boulder. Uh, and I, I, I had grown myself from the director of coaching role into the executive director's chair and, and spent seven years in that seat um, running, running that organization, learning by a fire hose sometimes, right? Drinking from a fire hose analogy of, of just learning um, leadership and learning nonprofit uh, rules and regulations and learning business practices and, and learning club governance and board management and HR and, and assessing risk and um, and going through that professional development on the job, right? And I look back on that window of time with a whole lot of check marks in the, in the good column, if you will, a whole lot of high fives for successes we had, and certainly a whole lot of moments of wish I could have a do-over, right? Wish I could have done that a little differently. And, um, but, you know, I think we all try to, uh, you know, the, the, the old cliche of leave it better than you found it. I think we certainly left the club in a, in a way that's better than than we found it, you know, seven years prior to arriving and pretty proud of the work you know, that we had done uh, at the time with the organization. Um, and then 2020 came and the world looked different, right? We all kind of started to experience a, a different reality with um, with COVID coming on board and, um, you know, navigating those challenges and just circumstantially ended up uh, leaving the organization in the spring of 2020 um, and then began working with Playmetrics about a year later. And and just briefly on Playmetrics, it's it's a it's a software technology company, software-based company based in in North Carolina in the Raleigh area. Um, and and the, the 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 company has developed software and operating systems in support of youth sports organizations, right? And and we we cut our teeth in youth soccer. We've expanded to a few different sports since then. But the ability to run your business through a single point of operating, a single operating system, right? A single point of truth, a single point of operations is what we were able to bring to market. 
and and the company is doing very very well. Um, we've got a number of partners we'll be visiting with in our time in Anaheim, and certainly looking to expand our our footprint in the youth soccer space. But it's been a it's been a career, you know, professional time frame now going on, you know, fifteen plus years uh, with the game as the backbone, right, of of those different professional moments. So super grateful for all the opportunities and including this one with you today. Uh, but certainly, you know, the opportunities that have come through the sport are are, are feeling like they're, like they're endless sometimes, and was really appreciative of it. Great breakdown. As you know, I live in North Carolina. Some of my best friends are from Wake Forest. My longtime broadcast partner, Austin Deleuze, is still Wake Forest, his all-time assist leader. His dad is still the head coach of the Wake Women's Forest. program. Sure, yeah. absolutely, yeah. Yeah, and then you've got, you know, Scott Wollaston and Sarah Bridges, who are with NC Fusion, that will also be part of the modern club administration and management. And then, as I mentioned, I did two stints in Colorado. The last one, I lived in Evergreen as the voice of the Colorado Rapids, and we always found our way to Boulder. My wife and I still get back at least once a year, and like every other year, we make Boulder kind of the home base just because it's so fantastic. So, I mean, you're living the life, right? You're in God's country out there. It's hard to complain. It really is. You know, we had, we had eight inches of snow last weekend over Thanksgiving. So that's uh, for us who like to put skis in our feet, you know, four months of the year, pretty happy for that, for that to come. Um, but you know, you've got your four seasons, you've got a way of life that's really feels like it's uh, the opportunities to live a healthy lifestyle, the opportunities to do the things that you choose to do. Um, there's a whole lot of them here. And I'm, I'm appreciative of that without question. Um, there's good people here. There's good people everywhere. And that, that, that doesn't mean that, that you know, that, that's unique to Colorado, but um, the culture, the environment, the people, um, the opportunities to be outdoors, to do the things that I enjoy doing is, I feel lucky. I feel lucky to be here. Next time, next, next time you and your wife visit, you better let me know because uh, I've, yeah. I've got a burger, I've got a burger and a beer ready for you when you guys get here. Oh, I really appreciate that. That, that would be great as we're here with Adam Hayes, who is on the executive board of the Colorado Soccer Association. He told you what he does with play metrics, which is awesome. Does that mean you come back to North Carolina every once in a while or you do everything through Zoom? We do a lot of it remote, right? We've, we've got people kind of spread across the country, but we do we do rendezvous, if you will, in, in, in North Carolina, usually every July for, for a week. Um, plus, we see each other during the course of our travels. Right? We'll, we'll have a large contingency in Anaheim, certainly, um, and we and we have different moments in the course of the year where we visit with each other. And yes and no is, your, is the short answer to your question. All right. We're going to tie it all back to what you're doing as part of the Modern Club Administration and Management Diploma led by Joe Cummings, where there are 10 sessions, seven presenters, including Adam Hayes, who will be doing his session on January 11, 2.30 to 3.30, Club Governance, Board Management, and Human Resources. I felt like he broke that down great. We're going to end with three sort of fill-in-the-blank questions. For you, Adam Hayes, even though you're not coaching still, you are proud to be a member of United Soccer Coaches. Why? The, the easy answer is opportunity, and it's a huge explanation behind it, but the opportunity to learn, to grow, to have professional development, to have network opportunities, to, to laugh and have fun with people, to relate to the game, to be connected to the game. I could go on, but the, the, the one word answer is opportunity. As you also know, Colorado is truly, for lack of a better word, a beacon for some of the best players the U.S. has ever put out. Women's side, especially now that you've made Colorado home, how cool is it to see how well Colorado's done in the soccer space? It's been growing, and the most exciting part is it's still growing. Um, you know, the the scene here is uh, is filled with just young talent and young motivated coaching talent 
both on the field, you know, player-wise and, and certainly coaching-wise. So we've got, you know, I, I could make a quick list, you know, a half a dozen, 10 current national team, you know, uh, in, in the conversation players. Um, and I bet you that number is going to not only grow, but double in the next 10 years. It's a really, really strong soccer scene um, with really good people in, in the soccer space. So um, it's been exciting to watch it. I remember, uh, I, I could tell you stories for an hour, but I remember, you know, when I first started coaching to, you know, watching my kids play today and just the, the growth and the development and the maturation of the game in, in our space has been, it's, it's, it's great. It's super fun to watch. It's super fun to be, it's great to be part of it in some small way. It's really kind of cool. Yeah. It's, it's beyond cool. I think it seems like every week I have somebody on, I mean, last week was April Heinrichs who, you know, played soccer in Littleton, Colorado, you know, long sure. before, you know, Smith came around and Haran came around and all these other superstars. And that was years and years ago, you know, so she's one of the trailblazers out of Colorado. My final question, simply, you know, fill in the blank. My name's Adam Hayes. I am part of the Modern Club Administration and Management Diploma that will take place during the 2024 United Soccer Coaches Convention in Anaheim. And I'm glad to do it for Joe Cummings and everybody who attends because... Because I've learned so much through my experiences with the association at the convention that the opportunity to give a little bit of that to the next wave of folks or my peers or people who are smarter than me, the opportunity to... to put that back into the space that I've taken so much out of is uh, is something that I'm really excited about. I like that answer because your experience speaks volumes for why you can be a great presenter for this diploma, Modern Club Administration and Management. Again, Adam Hayes will lead the session Thursday, January 11th, 2.30 to 3.30, called Club Governance, Board Management, and Human Resources. Adam, I really do appreciate your background more importantly i appreciate your enthusiasm and your love for the association you know i've got it you i can feel it from you my man coming right through this zoom right here and i think people will feel it as they listen to this week's edition of the united soccer coaches podcast adam hayes great to meet you and i look forward to seeing you out in anaheim do me a favor stop by podcast roll and we'll do exactly what you said we'll talk stories unrelated to this just just about soccer in general. How about that? That sounds fantastic. I appreciate the opportunity this morning and uh, I'm already looking forward to it. We'll see you in a month and a half out there. All right. I want to thank Adam Hayes and all of our great guests on this week's edition of the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. I want to thank Brandon Milburn, my producer, Colin Thrash, for each and every one of them and all of you. I'm Dean Linky. We'll see you next week for another edition of the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by League Apps. Thanks for listening to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by League Apps. League Apps is the leading youth sports management platform, providing organizations with the technology and professional development they need to run, grow, and win. To learn more about League Apps, find them at leagueapps.com or as League Apps on all of the social networks. And to learn more about United Soccer Coaches, visit us at unitedsoccercoaches.org.